I real I remembered that Black Panther came out this year, and I had a stroke <sighs> about it. God. Did it really? Yeah, it yeah. came out less it's than February. twelve months ago. Good evening, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework? the pop culture podcast that connects academic ideas to popular culture. I am your mm, under-the-weather co-host, Martha Sullivan, today, and I am here, as always, with my other wonderful co-host. I am Pete Romberg. I am not only not under the weather, I'm feeling great, because I made a very fancy-looking dinner tonight that turned out very well. Um, Oh, Jealous of both your feeling well and your dinner. <laughs> yeah, it was a butternut squash mushroom Wellington. So Oh. Yeah. I had butternut squash soup for dinner, which Ooh. was also very good. I just didn't make it. Great for when um, you're sick. Was it from Whole Foods? Because they make the best butternut squash. No, my mommy made it for us. Ooh, literally better. <laughs> <laughs> uh we are joined today by friend of the podcast. Uh, returning guest and fellow podcaster, Dan Carlin. How's Thank it going, so everyone? For... Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Dan is the uh, host of his own podcast. Uh, now, is it it's Stories of Our Lives, right? Or is there a... uh, Yeah, it's called Soul Radio. It's just uh, me talking to people who are ultimately more successful and interesting than I am, and I feed off of them. That's that's basically my podcast. Which, to be fair, and is Mark I... Maron's shtick, so like, you're following works, in the footsteps of greatness. Yeah. It works for Jesse Thorne, too, who does Bullseye for NPR. <laughs> um, I would just like to take a very small journey down memory lane uh, because I was there when Dan coined these stories of our lives tagline when we were all 14. Literal babies. Yes. Yes. Uh, actually, oh my goodness. I, I wasn't there, but when you said it's stories of our lives, right? I was like, Oh my God, that is what it stands for. Yes. Uh, Someone asked me, one of my last guests actually asked me what Sewell stood for, and I had to think about it for a minute because I had, it just, it hadn't occurred to me in literally years. Yeah, like 15 Uh years minimum. That's what I think of whenever I see it. Anyway, (laughs) we are are going to be talking about uh, showing versus telling, different methods of storytelling. Which is why this is a audio episode so that we can show you all the things. We have never once done a video podcast, Peter. What are and, you talking? And also, about? video podcasts are garbage. But I, I just, <laughs> well, I, I, I really like the idea of a showing... podcast. <laughs> a video podcast is just like a YouTube channel, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Just, you know, it, it's for people who like watching people sit in front of a microphone. It's it's a it's a market like ASMR. You know. Oh yeah, sure. We'd be a great ASMR episode. Tell your friends. Never. Um, But we are going to kick off our episode as normal by discussing what pop culture is stuck in our heads uh, this week. What have we seen, read, experienced that we simply cannot stop thinking about? Pete, would you like to kick us off by telling us what is stuck in your head this week? I can kick us off. 
And this is a great example where um, in the past we used to have this as the most recent thing we consumed. And so we would frequently cheat and just consume what we wanted to, uh, you know, talk about. Um, this is the opposite. This is literally the last thing I've consumed, but I just found out about it. And so I'm thinking about it all the time now. It is the music video for the song Sunflower by Post Malone and I think it's Swiley, Swaley. Swaley. Probably Swaley. Okay, cool. Um, and produced by... Oh, shoot, I should know this. Um, produced by somebody who produces a lot of Knox Fortune stuff, which is why the song sounds like a Knox Fortune song. Um, but the music video is a uh, music video for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I am very excited about. It comes out on Friday. The music video has a bunch of footage from the movie that I had not seen before. So, like, it's a fun, poppy, catchy song. That so I'm already into it, and then when you double it up with, like, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse visuals, I am doubly into this thing. I just saw this video 30 minutes ago, and I will probably be listening to it and watching it multiple times um, from for until the movie comes out on Friday. Didn't we find out recently that Post Malone is a white supremacist? I mean, I know literally nothing about Post Malone, so... He is sure. a white rapper who has been known to drop his share of N-bombs. That, mm. that this I'm aware of. Yeah, well, I feel that like... makes me less excited about this video, but... Yeah, there was either... It was either a Me Too or, an, or a white supremacy controversy um, that popped up about him, which is... I guess neither here nor there. I don't know. I'm it's, super into, into the Spider-Verse, so... <laughs> it's a useful thing to know about the, the media you're consuming, in, which I did not know, so... Um, but yeah, like, but we're all excited for Into the Spider-Verse, so that's great. Dan, what is stuck in your head this week? Well, I have been binging The Office for the last week, the, the U.S. Mm. version. I am at the end of season two. Um, I feel like I am extremely late to this party, but I'm really glad I got there at some point. It's, I... uh, oh, sorry. It's, uh, it's definitely, um, not within the genre I usually go, go into. I, I don't do a lot of sitcom -y stuff, but it's, it's definitely grown on me in the last, however long it's been, week or so. You watch all of season one in a week? Well, season one was like eight episodes. Yeah, yeah that's, that's fair. That's fair. Season two was like 20, I think, and I had it going on in the background at work. Oh, sure, 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 sure. I don't know. I hate to be the person that is crapping all over everybody's <laughs> pop culture choices. <laughs> I just, I, I watched a lot of The Office. I just... Mm, it's not my jam. They're just so mean to each other. <laughs> I don't know. I've been watching a lot of Parks and Rec recently, which is not my stuck in my head for it, but in contrast, it's like, everyone is just so kind on Parks and Rec. I was going to bring and... up Parks and Rec as the, like, opposite of The Office. Yes. Like, <laughs> and you can, and many people do like both, but, like, they are doing a similar thing, but in radically <clears throat> different ways. Just having been a part of a large corporation for 
uh, coming up on four years at the end of this month. My issue, my issue with the series is that Michael Scott is just such an HR nightmare and would never like reach the level he reached and stay there in all reality. Mm-hmm. And so that's what bothers me. Yeah, and I feel like the answer for that, because I've talked about that with people, and I feel like the answer for that is that you do occasionally get to see that he is a good and effective boss, but I also feel like the longer the series goes on, the more they play him for a joke, Mm -hmm. and like the more exaggerated his bad qualities become. I don't know. I definitely hit a point with The Office where I felt like I had gotten everything that I wanted, everything that I had wanted from it, and was able to let go of it before the series actually ended. Um, I know Steve Carell leaves at some point and I've been advised to pretend the series ends when that happens mm. that, there I was... stopped watching I stopped watching before that so I can't really speak to that there are so many series when either like whether it's the creator leaves or like the main like you know force of it leaves um, thinking of like the West Wing and Supernatural and so many other things where it's just like, yeah, once they leave, the series is over. It doesn't matter that there no. are four more seasons, the series is over. Look, I will fight people about the West Wing because the last two series the last two seasons of the West Wing are actually good television. It's just not the same show that it was. Mm. So people who say that about the West Wing are they're incorrect. Mm-hmm. But we can all agree that the season right after Sorkin left is the weakest because they're trying to figure out what they are now. Yeah, season five does go through some growing pains. um, But by the time they come out of, like, the back half of season five into season six is fine. Anyway. Well, what is is in your (laughs) mind other than The West Wing and The Office and Parks and Rec? And also New Brooklyn Nine-Nine trailer. I haven't watched it yet. Um, there are so m- I have been thinking about this literally all day because I have so many things that I want to talk about, <laughs> but I really should only pick one. So the thing that I am going to talk about is the thing that probably most of our listeners can also identify with, and that is that we got a new Captain Marvel trailer this week. Yes, that I have. That was watched, this week. This week has been ten years long, and that I have watched like seventeen times. Um, this movie is going to be amazing. I'm so excited about it. Uh, we got a little bit more information on what Carol Danvers' whole deal is in this new trailer. Uh, and I'm really interested to see how they play her character, uh, in the movie in a way that makes sense. Because compressing, like, the Kree and the scrolls into one two-hour movie is going to be a feat. Uh, but I believe in them, and I get a little misty every time I see a movie that. So I, uh, spoil, full disclosure, not spoiler alert, but full disclosure, I cried through most of Wonder Woman because I was just so overwhelmed by seeing this amazing and powerful woman be the hero of her own story and the star of the movie, and that's how I feel watching the Captain Marvel trailer. So I'm gonna be just an emotional wreck. Uh, regardless of what the story is, because it's so awesome that Brie Larson gets to be this amazing superhero and star in her own movie. So I'm just very overwhelmed by Captain Marvel right now. What is your take on the fact that, and again, this is why I thought this trailer came out like a month ago, 
Um, the fact that they also released the Avengers 4 trailer, like, the same week. Because, like, it's it's a good trailer, but it feels like it undercuts it. Like, undercuts the impact? Yeah, kind of. Like, everyone's talking about the Avengers 4 trailer now, and not the, uh, the Captain Marvel trailer. Um, yeah, I think you may be making a bit of a mountain out of a molehill. Um, this was the second trailer for Captain Marvel that dropped, so... True. It's not, like, the beginning of her, um publicity reel um yeah and and like to be fair i loved both the captain marvel and the avengers trailers so it's more that i'm like overwhelmed by choice uh in a good way but i'm like is this a normal occurrence where you'll get you know trailers for multiple marvel movies within a week of one another probably i've never tracked it um i feel like these movies are also going to come out pretty close to each other Captain Marvel is, I think, March, and Avengers is summertime? Right, so Maybe it'll be May? the first week in May. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be the first week in May, because Marvel has owned that debut slot for a hundred years now. Yeah, and it was very um, cute when Star Wars tried to muscle in and failed real bad. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about how they should have kept Solo for a Christmas release. 100% but that I is agree. Almost, agree with that. It's almost a TED talk for another day. Anyway, <laughs> super stoked about Captain Marvel. I have. we are back we are going to be looking at three different pieces of media and talking about showing versus telling in storytelling how these uh different mediums manage to convey their stories um we'll discuss that old adage show versus tell um and talk about how whether or not we feel that it's true that it's always better to show rather than tell uh, and how effective these stories are at or how effective these <clears throat> me- Ugh, I'm repeating myself, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Storytelling, what it is. <laughs> um, let us begin with actually, let's start with mine, because I feel like the show don't tell comes up a lot more frequently like that sort of missive comes up a lot more frequently um, in writing, mm-hmm. uh, just because in a in a more visual medium, it's sort of showing is kind of the default. So, if you guys are all right with it, I would like to start with um, my homework for this week, which was The Hunger Games, a novel by Suzanne Collins, which came out in the early two thousands. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head what that what the publication date on that was. Um, But it spawned a hugely popular 
YA trilogy um, and also a hugely popular uh, tetralogy of movies um, following in Harry Potter and Twilight's footsteps by needlessly splitting the third book into two films. I have bad news for you. It came out in 2008. Oh, okay. Which is later than I thought it was. Ten years ago. Yeah. Ten years ago. Cool. Uh, So the Hunger Games... The Hunger Games is a YA dystopian story about far in the future when um, a country that is ostensibly the United States uh, has been split into 12 different districts, uh, which are ruled over by the capital. Uh, Katniss Everdeen, our heroine, lives in the 12th district. Uh, She's super poor. Um, And uh, through her, we get to see this annual ritual uh, captained by the capital, wherein each district sends a boy and a girl, a teen boy and a teen girl, uh, to fight to the death um, as a way of basically asserting their control over all of the other people in this country. Uh, Katniss, of course, gets chosen, or rather, her sister gets chosen as tribute to represent District 12, Um, And she ends up volunteering to go in her place. Um, And what follows is uh, a whole bunch of chapters that read very similar to Battle Royale, if anyone is familiar (laughs) with that story, Um, as she uh, fights to stay alive. um, And um, yeah, it's, it's first in the trilogy, so I don't think it's spoiling too hard to tell you all that she makes it out at the end. Um, <laughs> and accidentally, sort of accidentally, spawns a rebellion, which comes to fruition in book three. Um, so I very specifically wanted to talk to you guys today about the book because I think the book is much more egregious in its telling versus showing exposition. It murders a lot of kids. <laughs> um, and it tells you very explicitly. Yeah. Um, so the, the the storytelling in this is interesting because it's first person present tense. So it Katniss is telling you the story directly. Um and I actually think that when it was translated into a movie, getting out of Katniss's head benefits the story quite a bit. Um so you don't get as much of her telling you what is going on, what she's seeing, what she's feeling, um, both as a result of film being a visual medium and also the shift from first-person point of view to third-person means that um, you end up getting shown more than told. But I want to talk about the book right now Um, because, like I said, I think the book is egregious in its exposition, but also because of the way it's told, I don't know that there was a lot of room or opportunity for it to tell its story with more showing versus telling, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, this was one of the rare YA books that I've read years ago without Martha making me read. Uh, <laughs> but, but it also feels like, and like I read it before the movies came out and, and all the rest of it. Um, and I like it but reading like i like the whole series um i don't know if this was uh patient zero for your love triangle ya book or just happened to come out at the same time that everyone else was doing the same thing 
and I agree with you, Martha, 100% that the movie... I'm a person who is not deeply invested in your generic YA love triangle book, and so rereading this, I forgot exactly how much there was of that in this, um, because so much of my memory of it is like a combination of things that happened in the movie and memory of reading it, so that I, like, I knew there was the love triangle, but I forgot how much, like, uh, real estate it took up. Um, and exactly how much, like, generic drama nonsense there was in this book about children killing children. Um. Well, I mean, when you say generic drama nonsense, like, that's but, the like, story. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, YA, YA drama nonsense, right? Like, there, there, it's, it's... It's a YA book, so of course there's going to be YA drama, but it, it feels a lot more um, upfront in the book than it does in the movie because it is, like, literally foregrounded and we spend a lot of time talking about it, whereas in the movie it's just a longing glance or a sad-looking PETA um, or whatever. Well, I, again, I think that's because the book is happening inside Katniss's head. Yes, I agree. So... For background, for for our listeners who have not read The Hunger Games, um, or for Dan, who didn't get far enough into it maybe to see the depth of what Pete and I are talking about, um, and Dan will have a chance to call me out later in the podcast, so, you know, don't give me too much shape oh, no. for side-eyeing him for this. It's all um, good. It's all good. So, Katniss and Peta, who is the boy tribute from District 12, end up fabricating a romance as a way to um, appeal to the viewers. Oh, sidebar, this whole event gets televised. I don't know that I mentioned that at the beginning. Um, but the thing about the thing about how much time the book spends on Candace's feelings for Peta is again, I think, a product of the fact that we're in her head. So every, the story of the book is what she is thinking and feeling and seeing. And I kind of appreciated that it's complicated for her because, you know, she's like, she's 17. So feeling all of the things that a teenager feels anyways, plus trying to keep herself alive, plus thinking that maybe she can keep somebody else alive and that would be pretty cool. Um, and then also faking a romance for, view for viewers, but also maybe, you know, how much do you fake liking someone before you start to actually like someone and a lot of this gets told to us in excruciating detail but i think that that's just reinforcing the fact that we're inside her head the whole time for better or for worse I was that anything or was that just a lot of work no no i, I agree with you 100 percent, and don't really have a response because you you said all the words I was gonna say, but with a different credence slash connotation, because uh, you were like, "Yes, this is a like this all makes sense, and this is why this works out." And I'm like, "Yeah, this all makes sense, and it's why it works out." Um, well, so then I guess then I guess my question is: Is this an effective way to tell a story? Like, I I think that something can be successful in what it sets out to do, but also is what it's setting out to do. I mean, a, an effective way to to relate this story. This book spawned a three booked series and a four movie movie that made all of the money. So, yeah. Well, yes, <laughs> yeah, but 
Crappy, crappy things get popular all the time. Look at Dan Brown. <laughs> oh, yikes. Speaking of Shade Throne. Yeah. Um. So, Dan, as somebody who had not read this book before, uh, what was your what was your impression of the narrative style? I did like how descriptive initially it the novel was or Katniss was in describing her surroundings and I I think that's when showing and telling kind of get blended in a certain way like you you get a sense of her environment like within the first chapter and what she goes through on a day-to-day basis and you know you know the the coal miners usually being out, and she's gonna sleep in, and um, it 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 was a very descriptive way of it, it was a very descriptive way of introducing the surroundings of the novel and saying what was to come. I kind of forgot that Collins is a really good like nature describer. Um, both at the beginning, like you're talking about, Dan, um, and then also in the arena proper, she does a good job at describing, like, being in nature um, in a way that, like, it's like, it's your classic, it's one second of screen time because it's just what the trees look like. Uh, so that's not a description thing in the movie. You're just, like, looking at trees. Um, yeah. But then in the books, like, it actually scans pretty well. So contemplate this for a moment. I believe that Susan Collins started her writing career writing scripts for TV. Hmm. That's a really good, yeah, with her writing style, you wouldn't expect that. Hmm. I actually, I think you would. I, yeah, I'm on the fence. I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about how spare a script tends to be in terms of, um, like guidance for actors and thinking about how few dialogue tags she uses by dialogue tags do you mean like said versus shouted versus whispered yeah like um i don't have the book in front of me so i can't pull any um specific examples but Katniss doesn't like <laughs> Katniss tells you a lot without describing a lot, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. And it does, I think, it's particularly Collins's dialogue can tend to feel very script-like in how... <sighs> Her dialogue does a lot of lifting like you would do in a script, or like there's a lot yeah. compacted into it. Yeah. The, the way I read it, you know, it... it her writing style especially it being in the first person it benefited from being so conversational where it almost like passed for dialogue it's almost like you're having a conversation with somebody well and then you listened to this on audiobook what was that like like was it um did they have a full like cast or was it just like one person reading it and and it was a single person reading okay do you think that the um like so, so since the whole theme of this is showing versus telling, but you were hearing, do you feel like you got a, a sort of different take on it? Or, and this is kind of an unfair question, knowing that you hadn't actually read it, so this was your first and only exposure. Um. Yes, I I feel like it it I 
having it having been exposed to me in an audio format it's it's like i was being told the information mm-hmm. and not so much uh you know i didn't have the you know reading it and then imagining it myself experience mm-hmm. Okay, with that, I think we're going to transition to a story that is told in a more visual uh, language. Pete, tell us what you chose. Tell us a little bit about what you chose for your homework today. All right. I chose the graphic novel Asterios Polyp by David. Uh, I'm going to go with Mazzuccelli. Um He is a graphic novel artist who this might have been his first work that he did like entirely by himself. It is about an architect, uh, a paper-only architect, um, instructor whose life basically burns up in a fire. Um, It's told through flashbacks where he is both trying to sort of recreate himself and also we're getting vignettes of his past where he meets his wife. Um, They have a life together they eventually uh break up and and get divorced um all the while he is trying to sort of forge a new life for himself after his old life burned up and it's a lot of growing as a person um i chose this it's a story where a 50 year old man finally grows up um i chose it because as soon as Dan picked the theme of showing versus telling, this is what I thought of. Uh, I've had this book for about five years, and it is one of the most visually interesting graphic novels I've ever seen. Um, Mazzuccelli does a lot with using different art styles to represent different ways of people thinking or existing in the world. Uh, the main character, Asterios Polyp, is uh, very much a... Uh, he thinks in dichotomies, uh, this versus that. Um, and is drawn in shades of blue frequently with, like, very uh, rigid lines, where his wife, who's an artist, uh, thinks in much more, like, free-flowing ways. She's drawn in shades of red with a lot of cross-hatching. So uh, there are many scenes in this where the way someone is drawn is very indicative of either the emotions they're feeling or their relationship to someone else. Um, When he and his wife first meet, they it's it's like a three panel sequence where slowly his blue blueprint style and her red hatch style get closer and closer until they overlap and create actual complete people um so there there's a lot visually sort of happening that I've never seen before and I've never seen since so uh I also do not like the end of this book I don't think it ends terribly well uh and I can I would hazard that this might be a controversial choice, uh, so I'm curious to, to hear what you guys are thinking. I thought it was absolutely visually stunning. Mm-hmm. Like I, I love the art style of it, and I like the the initial sequence of the house burning down. Like it immediately sucks you in, and it took me a minute to realize like the time shifts and how it wasn't like a truly linear story. Mm-hmm. But once you get the hang of that, it's it's definitely like it's a unique and very grabbing way of telling a story. And I I I as somebody who doesn't read a lot of graphic novels, it's it's definitely something to be said for like something that sucked me in. 
it's it's a book that teaches you how to read it as you're reading it. So the first time you experience a thing, you're like, what is this? And then the third time, you're like, oh, like, I've seen this before. It's been teach like, yellow means it's this time period. So, like, it's, we're in this time period. Yeah, you're conditioned to figure out, you're conditioned to know what part of the story you're in and how it, you know, it goes with the rest of the narrative. Yeah, yeah. I have a horrible confession to make. Okay. My hold on this book did not <laughs> oh, no. come in in time for me to read it for this podcast. <laughs> I did not do my homework. I have failed you all, and I apologize. But please tell me a little bit more about the visual signifiers. I'm I'm fast. I'm going to read it, um, and I'm fascinated by this idea of using visual cues to tell you things about the characters, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, Pete, um, without explicitly telling you things about them. Yeah, so so there's a couple key sequences that I was thinking of as as this was happening, and I'm flicking, flipping the book around right now. Um, and so in a party where Osiris meets his wife, uh, there's one panel where all the people in the party are drawn as, like, visual ideas of what they represent so one person is a mix of letters and one person is a mix of shapes and one person is like a, a blueprint and one person is a stack of books because they're and like one person is mathematical symbols because they're all just like that is what they think of um and frequently asterios is drawn in sort of blueprinty rigid styles and hana his wife is in red crosshatched naturalistic style so together they make one complete shape and separate, they are very different. Um, Asterios reminds me a lot of a New Yorker cartoon. Yes, yes, one hundred percent. He's got the fate. Yeah, yeah. Also, like he's a, also... he's a massive bleephole. Uh, he's not a likable character. Um, that is a whole other episode that we could do at some point. Yeah. Um, but that's actually really interesting. I I want to go back to something that you said earlier about using coloring to des to denote what time mm -hmm. period because that reminds me very much of here the book that we read for yeah um the ghosts of memory episode yes where each like each time layer had a different color coding that is such a wonderful thing about graphic novels is how um different artists and different storytellers use visual cues like that um but when they're when they're telling their story effectively, you can pick up on what they're saying without without them having to tell you. So, like I, I gather that the the writer for Asterios Polyp is effective in that you do pick up what his visual cues are sounding um, without anybody having to explicitly tell you what is happening. I also feel like the the novel uses color to uh, let you know what perspective the scene in question is from. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. So, like, like, depending on who your point of view character is, I'm I'm looking at a a sequence that is Asterios and his wife, and the panels are split up between pink and blue. Mm-hmm. And it almost, and it almost like portrays that 
these two don't see eye to eye, that they see the world in different ways. So now to get into the most, uh, not most visual, differently visual, um, the last kind of media that we're going to be talking about today. Dan, why don't you tell us what you assigned for our homework today? Sure. Um, I assigned an episode of The Sopranos from season six, episode three, uh, entitled Mayhem, originally aired in 2006, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) And boy, did it look like it aired in 2006. It was very much like on on the dawn of prestige TV and it figuring out what it was going to do with Uh, itself. Really, what I meant is that AJ and I had the same hair. (laughs) (laughs) AJ with the Van Helsing look. Mm-hmm. But, um, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen the series that ended 11 years ago. Um, uh, Tony Soprano is Tony Soprano, the show's protagonist, is in the hospital. Uh, the narrative ships back from the hospital and the characters dealing with the fallout from him being shot and a purgatory-like setting in which uh, Tony is exploring and essentially the the uh, setting there is like, what would life have been like for Tony had he not been in the Mafia? And uh, at the end of it, he ends up, you know, awaking from his coma and, you know, reestablishing himself with his family and his friends and a lot the reason i i picked this particular episode was for one scene in particular in which the oak scene the end of the oak scene yes (laughs) where he's he's met by a nameless character played by steve buscemi and it is painfully apparent but never fully stated that if he lets go of his suitcase, he dies. And uh, Steve Buscemi tries taking the suitcase. He doesn't want to let it go. Cut to, uh, you know, the, the real world, if you will. And he is in the middle of like a cardiac arrest type of situation. And he hears a voice in the, in the sky and all of a sudden he's he's back to life he's revitalized and he did not let go of his suitcase and i i think in terms of showing versus telling like it it tells you by showing so here is what was interesting to me as somebody who has not watched the sopranos um i've only seen a couple of episodes that we did for another episode of this podcast uh, and then this episode is that at when I through the first half of this episode, I thought that the scenes in California were a flashback. Mm. I did uh-huh. not realize until quite late that we were in some sort of purgatory dreamlike sequence. Um, I, I do think it's interesting, Dan, that you did not also choose to assign the episode before this one. Is that where he got I, shot? It was, or... it was between those two, and just on the strength of the end of the Oak scene, I wound up assigning that one. Is, sure. is the previous um, episode back... like why he's in the coma? 
No, so I went back and I read the AV Club recaps Mm -hmm. of these episodes. He gets shot in episode one. Mm. Episode two is the first part of his coma. And episode three, which is what we watched, is when he comes out of it. Gotcha. So I got I got very confused by all the Kevin Finnerty stuff. I was like, I don't know what is happening. Well, my apologies for that. I no, probably could have okay. used a little more foresight. No, like you said, you did not have any reason to assume that this was something that Pete and I did not have any familiarity with. Um, and I only thought about that when I was going back and reading um, cause I was, I was looking for materials that might help me, um, kind of work through the visual language of the show. And I love reading TV recaps just anyways. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it took me a very long time through the episode to realize that we were in a coma dream state. Um, but by the time I will say that by the time we got to the end of the Oaks, I was fully on board and fully cognizant of what was going on. And that scene was shot so well. Yes. Um, and with such a strong sense of what is kind of a, a almost a moral choice for Tony to make in that point. I will also say that I watched this episode with um, subtitles and no sound um, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, but I wanted to focus on the visuals and even um even without any music cues um the 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 cinematography of that shot is it's it's incredibly foreboding like even without any music cues telling me that steve buscemi might be kind of um that something tense is happening there like you can feel it in just the way that Tony is holding the briefcase, the way that Steve tries to take the briefcase. Well, no, I gotta um, say, I don't think there of... were any music cues. Like, this could be wrong. No, what, I, what, not what, much I in the... Yeah, what, when I think back to the shot, it, it was very naturalistic. Oh, interesting. I guess I had just made the assumption that there would be some sort, like, some kind of... I mean, if, um... if, if there were, they were subtle. It wasn't, like, big, in-your-face strings being, like, the briefcase, zoom. So it's there even, was it's uh, actually... an orchestra playing in the background, if I'm not mistaken. But, but that would have been, uh, like, um, in scene. Like coming from the house. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then that becomes even more of a show versus tell if, they're, if they don't even have music there, because that frequently, I think, becomes a way that movies and TV use to kind of tell you what's going on is right. through music and sound cues and to divest with that kind of makes the scene even more impressive i think Um, i i I think i actually said this the last time i was on your podcast like having grown up on that show that was the bar for me like in the sopranos nothing is undiegetic when it comes to music Mm -hmm. like they they rely on the scene and the acting and the cinematography to you know invoke whatever emotion is supposed to come out and so when, like, it, as a result, when a, another show or a movie, like, I uses a score to a very, like, at a very intense level to portray what I'm supposed to be feeling. I'm, it's like, uh, come on, come on, come on, let the let let the actors do their work. I've I've never thought about this. The Sopranos has no non-diegetic music. It's rare. Whoa, like. 
there's oh. oftentimes like a song that like leads out the episode like there's an ending yeah, track yeah 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 that, that like like your final shot doesn't count huh um in this episode i super enjoyed surprise steve buscemi because when he showed up on screen i was like ah steve buscemi <laughs> what, are, what are you doing here don't kill don't kill like... tony He's not killing Tony. He's simply giving Tony the option he's, to proceed. He's the Grim Reaper. If he were in a Terry Pratchett book, he'd be speaking in only capital letters. <laughs> he's very insistent about getting that briefcase from Tony. So I would like to take a moment to talk about the costuming in this show. Mm -hmm. uh, because even as somebody who is not super familiar with it, um, I thought it like I thought the the visual cues from the costuming was really impressive. Hey, you like Sal's like, nice suit that he got when he was wearing as a the special mob boss. <laughs> I mean, specifically, I'm thinking about Carmela, who strikes mm. me as a woman who is usually incredibly put together, mm -hmm. and in this episode is in tracksuits, no makeup, hair is maybe brushed, not blow dried. Like, like, like when, this when... is a woman. When Melfi runs into her in the supermarket, it's like, are you okay? Because you, like, you look like you're about oh, to yeah. lose it. Oh, yeah, dark circles under her eyes, mm -hmm. no makeup, like, baggy sweatshirt. And I, I feel like you don't really need to be told that this is a wife in distress because her husband is in a coma with a gunshot wound. But at the same time, like, even not knowing very much about her as a character, like, her exhaustion and her desperation and her hopelessness are just, like, dripping off of her and Edie Falco is just so She's good right in fantastic. everything. Yeah. Um but I was I was very impressed by the uh the visual cues by those and also just seeing the mob guys is always hilarious <laughs> to me. I forgot how much in I there. like Sopranos of just like that like yeah yeah you're a guy I'm a guy uh, you, you, this oh is God. a podcast so, so it's a visual medium but I'm doing my hand thing with the Italian suit with the orange shirt and the suspenders yeah with his inhaler with his oh my god i felt so bad for him he looked like the flowers in the ho in the hospital room yes i was just like oh you i don't know anything about you but you poor guy well like, like in that like that showing versus telling shows you so much it's like this guy is not ready like he's telling everyone that he doesn't really want to step up to the role you know, like, his his wife or whatever is like, oh, you'd be great as a mob boss. And he's like, God forbid. Um, but everything he's wearing is reinforcing that because it's all, like, it's slick, but it's almost too slick. And it doesn't really work. Um, and, and you know, if, if we're talking about Godfather references, if you're wearing orange, that's a sign of death. So, like, you know, he ends up uh, carted away in an ambulance by the end of the episode. And on the other side of things, you have Vito very much um, anchoring for Tony to die so he could be potentially the person to step up. And as soon as it's announced that Tony's conscious again, it cuts to that look of disappointment he gives in the midst of everyone else cheering. And the shot of Vito and uh, Pauly in the elevator right after the they, elevator. Right after they told Carmella. Yeah, it's like, like, they're like, hey, we'll give you the money. And she's like, great. The elevator closed and the boat's just like Bleh. so yeah like you it almost looks like like are you guys familiar with that trope in anime where when a character feels intense disappointment like their face becomes 
sort of just a solid like blue with dark lines mm. dripping down. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like just to show that their mood has suddenly sunk so far. Yes. They were the like human representation of that. Yes. Of like anime depressed face. Yes. Um also I would be remiss if I did not at some point mention how much I friggin' love Paulie in Sopranos. Like I'm he's in season one, which is all I've seen. I'm super glad he's arrived to season six. I just want to see that actor in everything playing a mob guy who is varying degrees of successful. Him almost talking Tony to death is one of my favorite gags in the entire series. The bit where Tony is banging on the hospital wall, being like, shut up, as he is (laughs) driven into cardiac arrest by him talking, is moi, showing versus telling at its finest. It's literally one of my favorite gags in the entire series. Like, it's it's so great. That was about where I got on board with what was going on. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although yeah, his well. phone call to his wife was also a little weird. Um, but like I said, I had trouble parsing the, the coma scenes. But yes, that was a that was incredible. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so just as kind of a final thought question for everybody, um, do we feel how do we feel about the effectiveness of the way that these three stories get told? Um, I know I mentioned earlier that I actually found the film version of the hunger games to be a more effective way for that story to be told. And I feel that way for a lot of reasons, which aren't, which aren't germane to this particular topic. Um, But I also think that the, the book itself is successful um, in other ways. So I'm just wondering, um, I, I think that we kind of across the board feel really good about the stories that we read or watched uh, for this episode. Um, but I'm wondering, in general, how successful do we feel they are at telling their stories in the ways that they are? Or do we think that, or Pete, do we want to cut that because we feel like we've covered that question already? I'm okay with keeping that. I'm I'm thinking, and I I have opinions, but I'm also willing to um, let someone else talk first. I think that, you know showing and telling aren't mutually exclusive and i i think that there are a million different ways to tell a story and i think we all chose um you know reputable and different examples of of such you know um the hunger games was at least in my opinion a little more conversational a little more descriptive of surroundings and you know just environments and you know just the fact that it was a, a novel being told in the first person can do that. Um, I think when you have a graphic novel, it opens up the possibility of color and you know aesthetic. And when you have like a movie or TV series, it you you get the the medium of audio and you know being able to cut back and you know. Well, so. and really quick. I, I do want to go back to The Sopranos really quickly because we um, we talked a lot about how successful that episode is in its showing. They also tell you a lot. Like, we get a lot of, re- like, directly um, direct exposition about, like, what is going on in the organization and who is mad at who. And, um, like, there are, there are still, there's still a lot of information that just gets kind of 
dumped on you, which I honestly appreciated as somebody who, you know, again, had no idea what was going on. (laughs) So it was kind it was very useful for me to be like, oh, okay, so this is what's happening. I do wonder how somebody who had been watching it every week, who was caught up, how, how some, an experienced viewer would feel about all of those info dumps. Like, would those have been as necessary for somebody who was fully caught up on the story so far? You know, it's been so long since the first time I saw it. (laughs) Um, I don't think I had a problem with it in, you know, I I think what made it okay in my mind was just seeing the interactions between different characters and how they responded to that information to one another. You're like, I don't care that it's an info dump because it's Vito and Pauly, like, having a, like, (laughs) nonsense robbery go south. Uh, Yeah. So, like, this is fine. And I'm not... And I'm not passing judgment at all. Like, I'm honestly wondering, is this, like, was this was this necessary exposition like is it is it melded into the story effectively or for somebody who was caught up would it have been perceived as unnecessary because like i said for someone like me i found it extremely helpful and i just don't know if that was a universal feeling or not um and it's not a question i can answer so just something to think about it's is that there there's room i think in that's why um pete when we were naming the episode i switched it to showing versus telling rather than showing not telling because i think that there's room for both in whatever um medium you choose to tell your story in final thoughts dan uh so you you're the one who picked this topic what was the impetus for it um what what was the um yeah like like what made you think of this topic like out of curiosity not a judgment question oh no no of course um just uh i i i've always appreciated the number of ways one can tell a story and you know the amount of entertainment mediums out there well, I, I it it always fascinated me like the I'm so sorry I'm completely brain farting right now. <laughs> That's right. I kind okay, of put I you was on just the spot. Say, so. The first thing, the first kind of idea that you came to me with was um the idea of character development across a movie versus across a TV show, like how you can how mm. you can develop a character when you have more space or more time. And oh, that, I, that I wasn't really well sure. Hunger Games. I wasn't sure that that would have been a right, a good fit for the show, just because a lot of the time character arcs sure. on TV happen over like twenty-two episodes. <laughs> um, yeah, now who who has the time for that? Exactly. Uh, but yeah, this was another way that we could get into the kind of the the way that stories get told which is um kind of another facet to the the character arc question yeah yeah absolutely um yeah i um i think that the 
amount of options that a storyteller has in terms of arcs. You know, it it's it's I I thought it would be interesting to compare certain ways of going about it and, you know, ways of getting a story and a point across. Well, and you've also always been a very visual person in general, like, you know, photography days, all all the rest of it. Like, like, even though your Instagram is one of the best on my Instagram feed, because you are a good, like, you have a good eye. So, like, the idea of showing versus telling for you specifically seems very, like, on brand of, like, how can we visually show this thing without, like, beating you over the head about what it is we're showing? Like, if Steve Buscemi had said... I need that briefcase because then you can go to heaven or hell or whatever. It's like, well, that's boring. So instead, just yeah, constantly I mean... have Buscemi being like, briefcase, please, briefcase, please. And then, like, the, the, the tension of that scene is, is incredible. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite scenes on TV. Like, it's, like, there hasn't, there's... There was nothing like it beforehand, and there has been nothing like it after, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's all the time that we have for today. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank this you for having me. Delight. Yeah. Uh, where can where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find my aforementioned Instagram at Soul Media. That is S O O L Media. Um, I, I, I highly don't... recommend following me because it's good pictures. Please do. Please do. I could always use more eyes. Uh, I have a Twitter I never use and a Facebook I am actively using less and less. But yeah. I won't bore you with those things. <laughs> jo- join the, getting, the slowly Dan's... getting off Facebook movement. <laughs> listen to Dan's podcast, which you can find on SoundCloud. And I assume wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Um, actually, I just took everything down, but I uh, I oh, want to give a shout out to the Mogul Minds Podcast Network. We are relaunching everything at the top of the year, Ooh. so keep a lookout. Uh, mid to late January, you will see the return of Soul Radio. Excellent. Hey, how could somebody join this theoretical podcast network? <laughs> I mean, I could, I could talk to uh, talk to my guy Isaiah about you. <laughs> we'll talk off air. Okay. Uh, Pete, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at pico three thousand p i k o three thousand. Politics, pop culture. Um, I'm theoretically trying to be on it less, but that just means I am uh, using it less frequently but more aggressively during those wee hours that i am using it so i think the the total number of tweets hasn't changed they just happen to come in the morning or the evening rather than scattered throughout the day uh and you can find me on twitter which i am not actively trying to use less of or on instagram (laughs) at magical martha uh you can subscribe to my newsletter at tinyletter.com backslash magical martha i believe (laughs) uh, which i am which I publish approximately once a week or at really whenever I feel about or whenever I feel like it. Um, my most recent issue had my pitch to games workshop about how they should let me organize a young adult series um, around all of their uh, 40k Primark characters, each one written by a different uh, young adult author star. I saw a tweet. Clearly they should be 
I, 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 saw you, sorry? I, I saw you tweet about that, and while I only have tangential knowledge of the 40k universe and things, the idea of a YA Horus Heresy book is kind yes. of delightful. Pre-Horus Heresy. This would be when this would be when Horus is a teenager. Uh, they are launching a middle grade imprint, I believe, in January, which I think is a fabulous idea, and also makes me wonder very strongly why they are not also writing YA novels. What is middle grade? I think uh, middle grade is like ages 8 through 12. That is insane to me because the world of 40k is nonsense bananas horror show. So... True, but little kids like to be scared. And honestly, if you take out graphic depictions of violence... Which is literally the 40k rulebook. No, it's not. <laughs> don't, describe, don't describe the bolt ends like shredding people. Showing versus the... telling, exactly. Hey, look at that. So they're, they're launching a series in the 40k universe and in the Age of Sigmar universe, uh, which are middle grade adventure novels, and I am very excited about them. And yeah, let me organize your young adult Primark teen universe. Pay <laughs> me lots of money. <laughs> um, anyway, you can find our show on Twitter at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, you can visit our newly revived home on the web at homeworkpodcast.com uh, you can email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com you can find us on Facebook you can uh, tweet at, comment on or email us show ideas, guest ideas missives to be on the show questions, comments, or concerns you can listen to our show on SoundCloud um, Apple Podcasts Google Play uh, literally anywhere that you download podcasts, uh, please rate and review us. Uh, that is how we find more listeners. Um, if anyone were to review our show, I would read it online or on air. Not online. I would read it on air. Uh, hasn't happened yet, so who knows? You could be the first. All right, um, I'm doing it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, next episode. You could episode... be the second after Dan. <laughs> next episode pete and i are going to do our end of the year wrap-up we're going to talk about our top 10 things our favorite homework our least favorite homework stuff we enjoyed this year stuff we didn't 2018 was a crap show however it did produce a lot of really good books movies and tv so that is what we're going to focus on 2018 uh, happened Yes, it certainly did. This is very true. Um, but until then, have fun doing your homework. Well, actually, what is your homework for this episode? None. Have know. a good time. Enjoy the holidays. Yeah, watch a Christmas movie. Yeah, die listen hard. To, listen, listen to Baby It's Cold Outside and fight about it on the internet. Um, we will see you next week. And until then, class dismissed. <laughs>